Welcome, movie fans. This is Dimitri, your ghost host today from the Popcorn Talk Network's Anatomy of a Movie, where we will delve into The Conjuring 2. See you soon. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Anatomy of a Movie. Well, welcome, movie fans. Hello. And again, I am your ghost host today, Dimitri <laughs> Panos, uh, at DMovies1701. And I am joined by Anatomy of a Movie first-timer, Daryl. And as he just explained to me, that's Ariel with a D. Daryl, <laughs> welcome. Thank you for being on uh, on board for Conjuring 2. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Uh, I uh, have a lot to say about this movie. So. Oh, as I do too. Um, Daryl joins us as being a horror fan such as myself. And, um, you know, it's tough doing horror movies on this panel because there aren't that many fans. Yet horror is such an important genre. Yeah. And, and it gives so much box office to, f- to, to, to film on a week to week. And when, when, they're, when these movies come out... And, uh, yeah, so I couldn't wait. Couldn't wait, because I don't even think we talked about the original Conjuring on this show. Oh, really? Yeah, and I was like, what the hell? Look at what that movie did a couple of summers ago. So, let's get into Conjuring 2. Let's talk about, uh, we always open up the show with opinions. Daryl, what did you think of Conjuring 2? All right, well, let's see here. I went into it with a lot of expectations. Um, I mean, I am a huge fan of Conjuring 1. I was kind of telling you this a little bit before the show started, but when I first saw the first Conjuring at the movie theater... I was not in love with it for some reason. It had freaky parts to me, but I I did not just fall instantly in love with it. You must have been in a food coma. You know what? <laughs> I I think I had so many high expectations for it. Even they they were even too far fetched for myself. But gotcha. this, I went and saw it again the same week because there was so much buzz and people were saying they loved it. And I was like, maybe I got to give this another shot. I went and saw it again and I absolutely loved it. Okay, yeah. so going into this movie. I had kind of the same expectations sure. for, from what I have from the first. I thought this was a great remake. Um, it is, to me, does not stand the same level as the first one, um, but it was a great remake as far as I'm concerned is when you go in the history of remakes for movies. Um, what was it a remake of, like, in your, in your mind, like? Well, I just feel like as far as just other remakes that I do like or sure, just sure. Um, No, what well if it was a remake what was a re- what is Conjuring 2? What, what in your mind was this a remake of? Well, I mean, I'm sorry, I should say more like a sequel more okay. versus remake, sorry. Okay. A sequel to the first one. Sure. So, it, you know, it it just was it's hard to have a follow-up horror movie that we've seen in history, you know. Absolutely. Um there's some that stand which we have a list that we'll go through a little bit later, but there are some that have withstood time, but You didn't think Ghoulies 2 lived up to Ghoulies yeah, 1? You know, <laughs> Yeah, you know, Ghoulies 4, maybe, you know. Um, but no, but this one, I, you know, I, I wanted to like it as the same that I did with the first uh, Conjuring. But it, to me, it didn't have the same eerie factor that the first one did. This one had a little bit too much more CGI with for me um, and a little bit more effects. And I, I like the fact that the first one was a little bit simpler as far as, like, what they threw in your face. Mm-hmm. To me, it felt more like... With the first one, that you could, there were certain things that happened in that movie that I felt like I could go at home and that realistically would happen to right. me. You know, especially around the sleeping time of you know things in the, in your room and sure. you know, sensing things in your room. And this one, I, it, although it had some of those elements, is a little bit to me. It, it was a little bit more Hollywood mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. me. Well, well I want to. We'll get into CGI because I found a. A very fascinating tidbit regarding CGI, but we'll talk about that a little later. Um, you know, I thought that this movie really delivered the scares. 
However, I'll, I'll, I will say that where I didn't find it as scary as, as Conjuring, as The Conjuring, I found the story to be on par, if not even a little bit better than The Conjuring. Even though I was scared, it made me jump, uh, it made me feel creepy mm-hmm. uh, on the edge of my seat. And, and to your point, yeah, there were, there were some creepier things that I felt took place in The Conjuring as well. Mm-hmm. But a good old fashioned um, uh, uh, possession type of a movie, mm-hmm. as Conjuring Two is, uh, I, I felt it worked really well. I really loved the story mm-hmm. um, here because the movie, which which is rare in a horror movie, that, that you're going to get a, a horror movie of equal stature or almost as good as, rarely if almost never happens, but. Here, we had a movie that its main premise, the movie plays out characters are devil advocates to its own story. Yeah. From a philosophical, from a a theological, and that is the aspect that I loved. Uh, I loved where the Warrens are in this time. It takes place six years after the events that took place in The Conjuring. Mm Um, they are battle weary. Yeah. You know, it comes shortly after Amityville Horror. Yeah. We could talk a little bit about that in a bit. And they're on the brink of just, they got to take a break. You know, they're tired of naysayers and always having to prove, yet the church comes to them with this mission. And I always find like they're always, uh, what's that? There's a saying that goes, there are three sides to the truth. Mm-hmm. There, there's your side. That person's side. And the, and the and, truth. And the truth. Yeah. And I find the Warrens as being that middle thing, the truth, because this, this movie represented all sides, and the Warrens had to make a decision based on evidence that they had, and I really found that to be very compelling, because yeah. you had the one person who was like, this is happening, this is real, and then there was another character who was there to debunk the whole thing, and comes close to doing it, and the Warrens have to go, well, you know, I got to take both sides. Right. And that's the part that I really like. James Wan uh, back into his wheelhouse of, of not only just horror, but using a smaller budget. Yeah. You know, this is coming after uh, Furious 8, I think it was. Seven. The Furious 7. Yeah. You know, and he admittedly, uh, during Furious 7, he was sort of uncomfortable mm-hmm. being in that big budgeted atmosphere. I think he's a much better director when he's more creative when he's given that less of a budget. And this yeah. movie was budgeted at like $40 million. Yeah. Which they're going to, they've already passed it, but they're going to yeah. completely so, destroy that number. You know, I find him, you know, in this movie, even more so, you know, he channels in people like Friedkin mm-hmm. and Carpenter, yeah. where he's using sound and, and camera angle and, and, and dark spaces. And that's what I really love about him. Um, you know, I think that, again, talking about the, the devil's advocate, action, you know, of this movie uh, aspect of it, I really think it makes for interesting plot points. And as an audience member, makes me question, mm-hmm. you know, it puts me in the Warren's position as to, well, yeah, well, yeah, that's sort of kind of, I want to believe like that that's going on, but I found that to be the most interesting. So I forgave it for not being as scary and having the <laughs> clot moments, right, so right, to speak. Right. And, uh, because I think that they really 
made a really good story and a character story about the Warrens, which I really liked. Yeah, and I mean, their story was definitely great. And I do like the fact that, like as you mentioned, that there was conflict in the sense of they had to... It wasn't that they just believe every story that they come across. You right. saw that they battled with what was reality and what was fiction because sure. of the fact that they had they physically saw things, but then they're like, wait a minute, could this be made up? You know, right. it was that moment of disbelief. Like we've come all the way to London. Could this or England, could this be, you know, something that they've conjured yeah. you know, unattended in the house? <laughs> you know, so yeah. yeah. No, and, and again, that was a theme that was somewhat brought up in the first movie. Yeah. Um, as well. That's another thing that I really liked about this. So we go from the very rural farmhouse mm-hmm. of The Conjuring, we go to England suburbia. Yeah. You know, so we're they're in a busy suburban neighborhood brownstone. street from Brownstone. Yeah. Uh, I really like that aspect as well. And even more so than even, say, the Amityville Horror, which was its own standalone house. This was part of a row of flats without, you know, and I found that part to be very interesting uh, as well. The other thing that Juan does too, and, and from a storytelling point of view, is he will always take something where you don't necessarily expect it to go mm-hmm. as well. And where this movie could have very much been cliche riddled characters or cliche riddled plotting. Mm-hmm. How many times? You're, you're a horror fan, right? Yeah. If you horror fans out there too chime in, how many times do you see a movie? Something very horrific, you know, there's a possession, a demonic thing. Something supernatural happens to an individualistic person, right? They go to get a higher authority, whether it be a priest, whether it be the cops or the fire, whoever it is, it's a higher authority. And then they come into the house, they do nothing here, nothing here. And then they walk out, you know, this movie, you actually, they bring in other people. They do. And they sort of kind of see shit going on. Yeah. And I was like, I like that aspect because, yeah. again, it doesn't play to cliche and it makes you as an audience member start to, okay, wow, all right. I, I really like that. How about yourself? Yeah, and what also brought me back to kind of the feeling of the way we felt in Insidious because Insidious, right. they did this similar thing. They brought in more of the experts and got other opinions right. within that. So <clears throat> um, I do like that part. They, I will say one of my problems with the movie in the sense of them being in this like kind of brownstone row family-ish kind of thing is that when certain things were happening it's hard for me to disbelieve that the neighbors would not be able to hear or be involved with things that were going on on their on their street mm-hmm. but outside of the the neighbor friends from across right. the street um especially some of the activity that was going on towards the end of the movie without saying too much about it you well, know we, we we can spoil we can spoil okay absolutely well when we have the son one of the sons who's outside literally screaming his head off in the middle of the rain while the you know the tree i believe was attacking sure. him um I can't believe that not one neighbor, you know, this is the late at night that one neighbor is not woken up and running in the neighborhood like what's going on or police weren't there quicker than what it was seen in the movie. Yeah. Well, they are British England. They're very proper. They're very proper. I don't know. I don't have an answer, (laughs) but it's a good point. Um, You know, so I want to talk a little. Why don't we start talking a little bit about the the production of this movie Mm -hmm. and how it well, how it got started, where where it comes from. And I find it very interesting. Conjuring, I think, took cinema by storm. It did something that is very rare, and that is uh, Warner Brothers opened up a horror movie in the thick of summer blockbusterness, mm-hmm. which doesn't 
happen often, if 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 at all nowadays. Um, and they do a brilliant marketing campaign. They come up with The Conjuring. It ends up grossing $41 million to opening weekend onto well over $100 plus million, takes the country by storm, and gets people who didn't even like horror movies mm-hmm. to come in and see horror movies. And it was very shortly, shortly thereafter that we get the announcement for Conjuring 2. Yeah. It wasn't a surprise. Right. Right? Um I really thought that, uh, you know, not a surprise, James Wan was going to come back after mm-hmm. he does the Fast and Furious movie. And I don't know about you, but I sort of get a sense, too. When I know that James Wan is involved, I, you know, I feel safe. I feel I like too. it's yeah. going to be a good movie. Yeah. And it didn't bother me that, again, it didn't really bother me that it wasn't as scary. You know, Wan still, man, he really knows how to make his camera dance. He does. Around he's, and, uh, he's an expert at that, for sure. You know, in a $40 million budget, which I think the first one was like $20 mm-hmm. million or so. So, um, yeah, and, and again, when we're talking about the pre-production, uh, so in July of 2013, um, Vera Famiga and Patrick Wilson sign on uh, to reprise their roles as the Warren. Uh, as the Warrens. Uh, Don Burgess, uh, later on, he's the uh, cinematographer, Academy Award nominee, Forrest Gump. He's worked mm-hmm. with, like, Robert Zemeckis. So James Wan doesn't mess around. Right. So we've got uh, principal photography began in September 21st of 2015, and uh, the filming concluded on December 1st of 2015. That's a good... That's a, that's a good run. That's a good, that's yeah. a good run yeah. for, like, that's September, October, no... What are we talking? Three, four months? Three, yeah, about four months. Right? Yeah. Not too shabby. They filmed it in Los Angeles. They went to London. Yeah. Uh, shot in England. And, you know, I find that, you know, 40 days of filming on sets and locations in Los Angeles. Production lasted 50 days with 40 of those days filming in L.A. Uh, that's not too shabby. No, that's, that's pretty good. That's For a horror movie, because uh, typically horror movies efficient. are probably going to stay more than at one location Theoretically, and right. only a couple months filming, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, but we see the results too. I think what what he is a master of, James, is storytelling, picking the right story. I mean, this was a great story. Everyone, we know that people are infatuated with horror movies, okay. Right. But the fact that this story can be something that is is somewhat true, or it's you know they take from actual facts. People are obsessed right. with those type of things, and to build that story around that is genius. And I agree. I think we see the results from that. Yeah, I think it was actually, you and I just talked a little bit about this uh, before we went uh, up live. You know, I thought it was genius um, that they started off with the Amityville Horror. Loved it. Okay. Um, When Conjuring came out, there was, people were introduced to the Warrens. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that constantly come up in all of the publicity and marketing was, these were the guys that investigated the Amityville Horror which is a legendary case. I remember growing up, I read the book, saw the movie James Brolin and Margot Kidder. Margot Kidder, yeah. Um, you know, scary stuff. But also, uh, growing up as well, there was the controversy around it, yeah. which was briefly mentioned in this movie as well. But it was a big nationwide phenomena, was the Amityville Horror. And I loved when the camera pulls back in that room, all I needed to see was those two windows, windows to know. yeah. It's the Amityville Horror. They're starting off with this because I was very glad that it was going to be a piece of 
the Warren's history and not its own movie. Because how many medieval horror movies can we have already? True. Although I did like right? the remake with, with Ryan Reynolds. I, it wasn't I, bad. You know, I but, must admit. You yeah. Know. But... I, but again, it's it would be yet another remake, although right. focused on the Warrens. But I love how they infuse the history of yeah. Amityville, and it's from that point where you know Lorraine, uh, Lorraine gets the premonition, so to speak. Uh, I love this, this this scene in the talk show. Yeah, and again, it's it's they're battle weary people. They're tired of always having to fight. To try to prove what they know to be true in their hearts and in their religion even. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are religious people. Yeah. And I find that to be very important. That's why the church, I have, to, I have to think, that's why they rely on these two people because they're religious enough. They're not part of the church as far as they're not employees of the church. And they know that they'll give a great opinion. But they're just like... They almost say no to going to London to check this out. They did, yeah. You know? Yeah. So I found that aspect to be... I, I, I thought it was great. Yeah, and you see how they sort of se- – we got an insight on how they select what cases they're going to actually go yeah. after. So I like that part. And, and they, like I said, they were on the cusp of just hanging up, you know, hanging yeah. up the towel and, this, and the ghost spectrometer, so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> At least for a little bit, you know. Right. And it, it was uh, – I like, you know, going into England. You change up your, your environment. And in England, this this, this um, the haunting of Enfield, I believe mm-hmm. it's yep. – uh, uh, you know, is is as big a case internationally yeah. as Amityville to us true. was, and again, it, it it also has all the controversy, if not even more so, than what Amityville had to us. That that perfect jumping off point to make it different from the original, like not just a remake of the original. We're going to do a different theme. I love that. They teased us just enough. They gave right. us just enough Amityville where we wanted to where legitimize things for the next story, which is right. the, the London story. Yeah, absolutely. And Very you know, and, and for Juan, what I really what I like about him as as a filmmaker, uh, whether he's directing a horror movie or, or a Fast and Furious movie, you know, and he he is like it's it's about creating characters and stories that audiences can connect with, and that's what I thought that he really did well in in a sequel, a horror mm-hmm. sequel. And it, it's a quote from him: it, "It doesn't matter what genre you work in, whether it's horror, science fiction, drama, whatever. If you have characters you care about, that is the most important thing. Story that you can engage with and characters you care about. And in this movie too." Conjuring was more about the family, mm-hmm. and you you really care about that family, you, did. Yeah. you know. And what I also loved about that is they the family they couldn't leave that house. They were so in deep, and they made it a point to say, "We're stuck here. We got nowhere to go." So you're introduced to the Warrens, who are likable and take a shining to that family. And this movie. We're not focusing so much on the family, but we're focusing on the Warrens and what they can add to family. Yeah. And that, to me, is that's a good premise for sequelizing. Well, it's still a relationship, too, because we obviously see the Warrens. We, yes. we, we see the insight on their love relationship outside of them just being these ghost right. you know, right. hunters. And then in the first Conjuring, we see the fact that they can come into this family's house and be so accepting. I, I think I remember I was just watching. I was telling you that I binge watched that movie so much. <laughs> I've probably seen like 30 times this year already. But um, the one there was one scene in The Conjuring where... Uh, um, I forgot the woman who plays the mom. I can't think right now. But she mentions to them that 
whenever when the Warrens came into the house, how the house seemed normal and how right. the family seemed back to where it used to be. And I think that's because of the fact that the Warrens can come in and they are normal people right. who just happen to want to right. get rid of your spirits. Sure. Uh, Frances O'Connor played uh, Frances Peggy, O'Connor. Peggy Hodgson. Yes. She was great. Yes. Um, and I love the kids as well. So going back to um, – well, here's here's something else that I found interesting in, in, in doing research, right? Um, uh, the producer – uh, Peter Safran, uh, he was asked, knowing that this case is so well known, how do you go in and make a movie where a lot of people know, you know, how this is going to end or whatever? Right. It is like, sure, it's very, it's a very Googleable case. Yeah. So if you go on to Google, you can look it up right now. Look at all the points. So in the screenplay, we wanted to address a lot of things that come up in the, in, in a search, just like the first movie, having the right number of family members, for example. In this case, whether it was a hoax, it was very prevalent at the time, so you can't hide from that. So we definitely address that. Yeah. But I also like, I mean, this is a movie. I'm going to, you know, I, I'm going to take it with a grain of salt that the events in this movie don't necessarily jive, that they, that they had to elaborate. You mm-hmm. can't just, you just can't make a shot for shot right. real life movie. You got to flush some things out. Right. And one of the things they flushed out was this demon nun. Yeah. It was creepy as hell. Oh, I mean, the, just one of my favorite scenes in the movie is when uh, Vera was standing in the mirror. And <laughs> I don't know if you had this fear growing up, but, uh, you know, it's 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 like Bloody Mary. You know, you don't Bloody want to Mary. say the name yep. three times in the mirror. So when she's standing in front of the mirror and she sees an image, you feel like something's behind you. You turn around and there's nothing there. And then you look right. again and the image is literally like yeah. neck and neck with you. You know, that freaked me out. But that was one of my favorite, favorite scenes in that movie. Yeah. And, and again, that's something that one is able to do yeah. like with he plays an audience let's he plays an audience like a like a fine-tuned violin yeah. yeah and to me um very good horror is the way in which a director can manipulate an audience mm-hmm. and that's what you know you can argue that every movie is about manipulating whether you're manipulating the audience to laugh to cry to do whatever but horror is a little bit different and harder to do yeah um there are many who can do it very like horribly wrong and one like the greats, like a John Carpenter or you know William Friedkin when he was making horror movies, you know he's able to manipulate the audience, forces the audience to see what he wants you to see, while we know that in a dark shadow or somewhere else, something is there, and he's just brilliant at at, at manipulating the scare in such a great way where it's not forced. It's very like his scares are earned. Yeah. Would you agree? I agree. He reminds me kind of of both uh, Sam Rami and, and Wes Craven have similar styles in their yeah. films. You yeah, know, where absolutely. It's, it's, it's you know it's you you think something's there, but then you're not sure, and then all of a sudden, just when you think that there's going to be something there, it absolutely is not there, and yeah. then it pops up later, you yeah. know, and throws you yeah. off. Uh huh. And one more step because I want to get back to this 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 evil nun, but the other thing that Juan does too is when you think again. Any, let's say, not so versed director in horror will stop a scene just when they get that jump. Okay, one knows how to take it a step further, and he and he and he'll take the scene to a place that you don't expect, which makes it even scarier. So, for example, in this movie, it's when the mother comes up to the room. Shit's going on in the room, and then stuff settles down. 
And she goes, okay, let's get out. And then all of a sudden, the dresser goes crazy. flying up yeah. against the door. Okay, that's a great jump. I didn't see that coming. The Conjuring, right? The Conjuring has an amazing scene where they're in the, um, the girl's bedroom. And the camera sweeps up to a dresser and the demon's sitting on top. Yeah. Most directors would just stop there because they got the scare they wanted. But James will hold the camera up there so the demon pounces on the on sisters that's on yeah. the floor. Yeah. And he takes the scare level and, it, and, and makes it even scarier. And then I jump even more. That's his brilliance. He'll take it that stepfather that most people won't think about doing to get the extra scare. Yeah. And it's not exploitive. It's just damn good horror-making movies. And it all comes, I think, from people like Wes Craven and John Carpenter, where you think the scare is over, and then they turn around and they bump into a sheriff. It's like... Yeah, it's, it's like, And he has subtleties, too. It's, uh, one of my other favorite scenes was kind of going off of what you were saying, is uh, when it, I believe the uh, daughter was going back upstairs to the room yeah. and you can see the the silhouette of the chair in the living room yes. and when she first passes it you don't really see that there's someone sitting there and then the second yeah. time it's blurred out completely yeah if, and your eye can almost miss it but then the second time you just your eye yeah just captures yep. that there's a subtle image sitting yeah. in that chair and i, I went ballistic yeah in the movie. I mean, it, and it, yeah that that's his strength so i want to talk about this demon nun character because this demon nun character wasn't originally shot in the movie. Yeah. At all. Crazy story. At all. Yeah. And 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 James Wan got this got he he had an epiphany. He hit his head in the bathtub and instead of the flux capacitor, <laughs> he comes up with the demon nun character. And basically they went, he convinced the studio and he basically said I want to change because it was originally a cloven hoofed with horns yeah, type like of a, a demonic, a demonic, kind of, yeah, demonic kind of a demon Valak. Yeah. Um, and and uh, he said, you know, for for um, Verfamiglia's uh, character, um, Elizabeth Warren. Oh, uh, no, it's um, Ms. Warren. What, what's her first name? Oh, uh, uh, L- Lorraine, Lorraine, Warren. Lorraine Warren. Yeah, Lorraine Warren. Since she was having this issue with religion and belief and whatever he felt that if i make a demon nun that questions her religion that questions that's a thing for her and so they had to go back not only reshoot but they had to like with um there's a scene where patrick wilson he had painted the demon demon, he painted the demon that he dreamt about and they they digitally changed that draw that that painting to the wicked nun yeah. you know more of a premonition which leads me to like one of the scariest scenes in this movie was when she was having her fugue state and she walks into the library her in the house mm-hmm. and that painting is up there yeah. and the first thing i noticed is wow that that ed warren he gets the eyes just nice <laughs> perfect I mean, they, yeah. they look real <laughs> they did that was and then you saw the shadow the shadow though, on the side and, yeah. and it goes like the shadow like goes behind the painting so to speak so we see shadow body but the face of that nun yeah and then when the hands come out of the painting oh yeah crazy like cringing and and i was like oh my god that is such an amazing scene and then i wonder now that i learned this information how would it have been 
with this just the demon with, with the demon yeah i think it would have know? taken away from it honestly because yeah. i mean even if you really think about um like insidious three mm-hmm. where it was more of a demon old man-ish kind of thing yeah. but you didn't really you didn't really feel the character the same way there's something yeah. about the nun that makes it more real right and i think it's a smart move as well because then you can we know that the nun's coming out, so you can also create another sequel off of that for one. Right. Which, which they're doing. Which they're doing. Yep. And then just for, like Annabelle. Just like Annabelle. And then for two, um, I find it interesting in comparison to like Insidious and, and Conjuring in the fact that, or Conjuring 2, where the fact that there's women who are kind of like the evil, sinister, scary characters in the sense of the nun versus the woman in black in, in, right. in, in Insidious. You right. know? So um, it's it's an interesting correlation between the two, but I, I agree. I mean, the nun asked. I'm very glad that they went with the nun versus just the demon. Yeah, but I am very curious, and they'll never do it. But I would love to see the demon version of um, it, j- yeah. j- just because Even a drawing, I'm a horror. Just a drawing. Well, we do see um, th- we we do see semblance of this demon at the very last scene uh, when. It's morphing, and you see a demonish kind yeah. of shape. This is the demon, but you know uh, the horror geek that I am. Now I want to see was it could it like I already know the nun. Does he still deliver scares with his demon? Like I want to know what this demon like really looked like and how it acted and that scene in the library. Like how did that play out? Yeah. This was yeah. really scary stuff. Yeah. So uh, I mentioned Valak before. Mm-hmm. So, um, folks, this was the the easiest research. Uh, IMDb on trivia. Now, they're saying the name of the demon Valak can be seen six times. Six times in the Warren's home. In the home. So, I was like, holy crap. So, first during the scene at the table, after Lorraine sees the painting Ed has painted, you could see the word Valak and the colorful bangles hanging from the window. And also behind Lorraine, V pops out of the word love, and the rest of the name is written in wooden letters. See, now right. I have to go and, like, I can't wait for it to come out on DVD, and I just pause these parts so yeah, I can see everything. me too. Well, then it goes. Uh, then, when their daughter is making her bracelets, all three bracelets have Valak spelled in the lettering, which I didn't notice. Uh, the fifth and final time was when Lorraine sleeps as her daughter plays. Valak is spelled out on the bookcase with large letter ornaments. Huh. So I thought that was really, That's cool really cool because there's that scene where she gets her. She's like, you told me your name. You told me your name. And it's va- and, and like and she she's scratched scratching it. Yeah. On a, on a scribble board. Yeah. 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 And I thought that that, you know, but I think that's pretty cool. So it was all there. And we as audience members we're not paying attention to no, that. There's we're, so much going on on that so screen. Much going and you're on. waiting to look at whatever's next yeah. that you miss the subtleties yeah. and, of those things. And, that's the other thing, too. Juan doesn't even tell us to look for these no, clues. No, he gives but us they're no there. Right. He gives us no, he I guess the no closest clue. he does give us is when she's scribbling and trying to figure out that she's remembering the name. That's yeah, the I just thought that that part is, I like that. Yeah. You know, and I like the whole Valak thing. Um, so. Yeah, I, I just find I, I just wonder if maybe on Blu-ray, mm-hmm. like we'll at least get a glimpse, or they'll talk about it a little bit. Maybe more. yeah, maybe they'll do some director's cuts. You and, know, they and, won't. Again, I don't foresee the studio releasing that version. That's probably it's not what Juan no, wants. Yeah. and and I did find some interesting. I found some interesting, uh, some other interesting information about Juan that I'd never thought about. So, 
Uh, there is, uh, we already talked about, like, Juan is able to use his camera. Like, there are some great scenes. And, you, and you, obviously, they have to be a set for him to get the camera to go from one room into another. And so he'll go in overhead, and we see, and he picks up on action. And you're like, okay, that's great. But it's amazing how he makes his camera, like, swoon mm-hmm. and almost like a, just like an operatic dance, yeah. in a sense. So... You the, move with the camera, and you're yeah. moving yeah. with it, which yeah. is which is great. Yeah. So put you into uh, put you into that scene. Uh, but one scene in particular, which is the biggest irony, but it, but it's equally as creepy, is the scene when this old Bill character, who's haunting a little girl, changing the channels uh, on the TV. The Warrens come and they need to interview the girl, but they specifically need to interview this the ghost of old Bill, mm-hmm. and. Um, it's the one scene during this interview where Juan locks down his camera, and which I find very funny because he's not using any much camera trickery other than the fact that he wanted to focus it on Ed, Ed Warren. Yep. And, you know, it was very interesting, too, because it plays into that devil's advocate because they sit down in the chair, they're talking to the girl, and they said, will, will, will old Bill come out? She said... Only if you all turn around. And they all turned around. And I'm like, really? They're all going to turn around? Like, so you're going to buy this? And we got a close-up of Ed Warren's face, pretty much on the left hand of your screen. And he locks the camera down. And he even says, he goes, I speak about sound design music. The presence of music is very powerful, but so is the absence of sound as well in the absence of music. Same with camera movement. There are two interviews in the film. And so... Uh, shot and edited much more traditional way, much more more conventional way, which is That's different true. for him. Yeah. And I wanted to do something different. I wanted to put the audience in the mindset of the Warrens. And it doesn't want to speak unless you guys turn around. I wanted to shoot it in such a way where Patrick turns his back to face her, and then the focus racks to him. Even though we think we see something in the background, which again, to your point, when you see the silhouette, Something changes in that girl. I don't care what you say. That is not a girl talking in that scene. There's no way she could fake that. No way. And he's like, he goes, I like that you're just equally unsure of what is going on as the main characters are. So he was then asked, like, it's about the mystery of filmmaking. And he's like, yeah, he's all about... You know, that is re- he doesn't do commentaries on any of his Blu-rays, mm-hmm. except that he said the only one he ever did was Saw, because he had an obligation to, to, to Lionsgate. And he goes, I just think that he's almost like the magician that doesn't love to give away the gap. Yeah, the tricks. You know? Yeah. And... He wants I, to I keep your mind that. suspenseful about it. He wants it lingering so you think about it. Yeah. More, you know, maybe come to your own decision. Yeah, because your he is. wouldn't even give up the ghost all pun intended there on how he shot that scene. Yeah. Like he's like, I can't tell you my secrets. He goes, yeah. come on. And on one hand, I respect him, but if I did know it would make it for me, probably cooler. Like it wouldn't ruin the effect. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. how about you? Like, what did you think of that scene? Yeah. I mean, that scene was, it was pretty, I thought it was pretty amazing, but I mean, it was just, it was so much intensity with that scene. I felt like because of the fact that you're, you're thinking, okay, 
they want to turn around, they can't turn around. Should someone be recording that to see what's really going on? You know, um, it, 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 but, but her voice changes, you know, her whole demeanor changes her, her, there's that deepness of her voice was yeah. so eerie that it just, and her, the look in her eye, you know, yeah. was that she wanted to kill you, you know? Yeah. So yeah. it just, it, it was amazing. She became know? taller in the chair. I mean, something happens in that chair. Yeah. I don't know how they filmed it. But it's a it's one take, yeah. and if there were any look, if there were any magic editing tricks, um, okay. But the effect works, right? Because when we go back, lights come up. It's the girl sitting in the chair. Yeah, I thought you know it's a brilliant scene in which it was just it seemed to have been filmed very simply. Yeah. Just lock down the camera. Who am I focusing on? Which is going to bring me to a point you brought up earlier. You talked about CGI. Mm-hmm. So it's funny, in, in, in an interview, uh, the interviewer had said, you know, this film relies heavily on practical effects, but there is one particular crazy CG shot involving the Crooked, the crooked Man. man. Mm-hmm. When you're making a horror movie, do you try to be more sparing with CGI? And, you know, he comes right out and says, you know, I got nothing against CGI. How can he? He did Furious 7. <laughs> Right? Well, yeah, that's the epitome so, of CGI. Yeah, so he's got nothing against um, CGI, and he goes on to tell a story uh, about how a journalist earlier had talked to him and said, you use a lot of CGI effectiveness and a lot more. Um, which scene are you referring to, he asks. He goes, well, the Crooked Man. And they're like, well, you know, believe it or not, the Crooked Man is a real live actor. There's a real live actor who was playing the Crooked Man. That person really moves like that. He looks like a human stop motion puppet. Um, the actor is named Javier Botet. Javier Botet, yeah. And he's like, that person really moves like that stop motion puppet. I just thought it's really interesting that he can do such incredible things with his body in a lot of ways. It was some form of physical theater. So, what we found with computer effects that I used. Uh, a, a bit in this movie is to paint a lot of modern technology that you would see in the background, in the distance, getting rid of cell towers, painting out a building structure that isn't native to 1977. It helps with keeping that period aspect of it, and that's what I generally use CG for. Yeah. And I was like, holy shit. I thought I thought Crooked Man was CG. Especially <laughs> the way he moved. I mean, I, it, it was never even in my mind that I, even when I saw when I looked up IMDb to see after I saw the movie, I was like, who is who is, is does it list out Crooked Man? And when I saw that it was an actor, I just figured that he was the prototype of it, and mm-hmm. that they still CGI'd the majority of that scene. Yeah, that's crazy. Isn't that crazy? That's crazy. He, he moves. He moves in I wanna, stop I wanna, motion. I want to see this guy in like in another film or something. Now, and that's what I hope. Like since he's out in the open with yeah. that, that's what I hope we get to see in a Blu-ray. Yeah, like like him filming the scenes and the way he, that stuttered walk. Yeah, uh, that was that. Oh, it was brilliant. It makes it scarier now for me. Yeah, I was like, that wasn't CG. Yeah, now Son that I know it's not bitch. CG, it takes away from it a little bit because with me, I'm such a huge horror fan that I like the old school. 80s, 90s films where they didn't rely so heavily. Well, 90s started to, but like the 80s still had an eeriness to it, even the old 70s films, um, where I think that before we got so engrossed in all the CGI, it it kept you kind of a little bit more in a... Sure. And more of a scary feeling. Absolutely. And now knowing that, that kind of changes my perspective of it because I thought sure that the Crooked Man was CGI. I thought 100% yeah, sure. Yeah, would have never even thought And then when I different. read it, I was like, that is crazy. But then I got to thinking about 
The Conjuring and Insidi- the Insidious movies are very practical effects. You know, in-camera trickery. Yeah. In-camera trickery, I think, is as good, if not better, than any type of CG trickery you can you can put on an audience. Mm-hmm. Because if you can make it in, you know, in your lens and it's the way that you angle it, the way you light a scene, like to me, that's how hor- that's how you can manipulate an audience yeah. to get them to look where you want to look. And um, th- this Crooked Man character who ends up being a- an integral part to our storytelling in this movie. I was just to find out that it was an actor. Yeah. It's like, Jesus. Who knows? Maybe we'll see a Crooked crazy. Man uh, kind of new film off of him somewhere down the line. You yeah. Know, I was like, yeah, so uh, Javier Botet. Good, good job. Good on you, man. Good job. Uh, that, that, that we need to have you in the studio. Oh, it would be awesome. <laughs> I want to see you walk into the studio. Me too. <laughs> and I want to wear that top hat, too. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's... Um, I, I just think that it really is... Uh, you know, again, it's a credit. It helps, I guess, to an extent, keep that budget down. Yeah. 40 million. You know, it's when you're talking 40, min, 40 million, that's, that, that's teetering on a little bit sometimes, like independent movie. Mm-hmm. And, and again, this is where I think that James Wan's creativity really flows. Yeah. And he loves to be thinking of how to do that. Yeah, you I know. feel like he almost <clears throat> would rather work with a smaller budget than a larger big blockbuster budget, you know? Yeah. It seems yeah. like it, with what he wants to do with his films, it caters more to that yeah. smaller budget style, independent yeah. film style. Yeah, and, 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 and I appreciate, too, he's setting up, um, you know, if you've watched me on this before talking about horror and James Wan, uh, I've had experience with James Wan. I was at Lionsgate when we released the original Saw movie. Oh, wow. And, you know, what he was able to accomplish and what that movie did for the studio at the time, um, it was it was immense. It actually, you know, the saw, the original saw helped put Lionsgate on the map. And it changed the game of horror. It changed the game. It changed the game. And 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 it went from if I were wearing if I were traveling and I was wearing a Lionsgate T-shirt, it went from. Oh, you guys are the uh, you're the studio that has the lion as the logo. I said, no, that's MGM. Where you know, and then people would like say, Lionsgate. You guys did Saw. You know, James Wan with Lee Wanow really did help put Lionsgate on the map. And because he started off very low budget, he is now uh, he has his own production company called Atomic Monster. Mm-hmm. So their 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 first movie, I believe, I believe it's their first movie, is a trailer that is a movie that I saw the trailer for on Conjuring Two called Lights Out. Yeah, that James Wan is is a producer on, and um, creepy trailer, and it reminded me of it has a, an audio device, much like the first Conjuring. Uh, marketing trailer had the clap, yeah, and this one has the flicking of the a flicking light of switch, light, yeah. and I thought it was like really creepy with this image like this. It's dark, and yeah. with the subtle image behind, yeah, it. and the yeah. light image goes away, yeah. and the dark there's a shadow. Yeah. So you know, he, with Atomic Monster, is like it's he just wants to keep keeping the smaller budgets. Um, you have more freedom to make the movie that you want. There's a lot of pressure. Once you've proven yourself um, with this, then you're showing to the studios that you're capable of doing bigger mo- uh, bigger movies. Uh, Atomic Monster is like that process. And he's going to give it to young directors. Uh, you know, they'll the, the farm out project uh, to directors who are hungry and are willing to use that creativity and build upon that. And I, I just love that. 
he has an appreciation for his roots. Absolutely. You know, it's um, good on him yeah. again. And I can't wait to see what he's going to do with Annabelle 2 and Insidious 4. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and the Insidious, you know, Insidious is another thing. We'll go back to Conjuring, but Insidious is another series that is consistently, they've been good movies. The third one. It's my least favorite, the third one. Yeah, but it's still not a bad movie compared to a lot of horror movies that, that come out. It was still pretty good. Lee Winnell, I thought, did, an, did a decent job for his first time out. Yeah. You know, getting stuff up. But yeah, I, I just like that. Especially now, Juan has not forgotten his roots. He's doing Aquaman. It's huge. You know, and, you know, he did Furious uh, 7. Seven, yeah. Um, shitload of money at the box office yeah. on that one. But this movie's going to do, it, this movie, Conjuring 2, will make its money back because worldwide it's already done over 100 and you got a $40 million budget. Yeah. You know, he's he is definitely, uh, you know, he's, he's, a, he's an A-list director. For me, but I love that he works in small budgets. Uh, speaking of working small budgets with James Wan, another thing that I learned, too, is that he was sort of kind of inspired by a very popular independent movie that had come out. And when I read this, I was like, huh. I go, makes sense. He's like, he wanted a you know, balancing the truth and fiction was certainly one of the challenge of creating this movie, so a movie that he looked to surprisingly and inspired him, uh, inspired his process was the movie Adaptation mm. of all things. He goes, you know, it's one who, believe it or not, and actually Spike Jones partially inspired Adaptation because that is the, it's a story of a guy who's asked to adapt a true life storybook and then he does something completely different with huh. it. That's interesting. So I found that very interesting. That's an interesting yeah. comparison too. Right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, for, for a horror movie? Yeah. I would have thought you would have said something totally different, you know? I was like, I'm curious. What what does inspire yeah. him? And how does he take that? And you take a movie like Spike Jones adaptation? Yeah, yeah. Random. But then when you read about it, it's like, okay, that, that's how his mind, his mind works. works. Yeah. I get it. I like this guy. You know, he's uh, he's pretty smart. So you um, we were talking about you wanted to you, you had some things on comparisons about sequels, horror oh, yeah. movies, because I think it's very important. We said off the top, it's tough to make a sequel, to, to make a good a sequel. A good sequel. To a sequel horror. Movie. Yeah. You know, it's one thing like a comedy can be comedy can be tough, too, but you can get an audience laughing. Yeah. May not be as good, but you can cheap out, make an audience laugh to earn scares. I think is very hard to do in cinema, especially today. Yeah. So we've seen a lot fail. I mean, what, you know, one, I'll consider it a sequel, uh, even though there's like 30 of these movies, but uh, Friday the 13th, you know, mm -hmm. and there was a lot of expectations when Paramount put that out in 2009. Mm -hmm. And I was highly disappointed when I saw the film as most people were because it, the, it dropped off, you know, in numbers very quickly. Now I know that they're remaking another, redoing another sequel for it. So I, I have my, my hopes and you know fingers crossed for this next yeah. one but i went and got a list of just some movies that i consider you know i thought would be a great speaking point for us yeah. i consider some of the better um uh sequels uh, first being friday the 13th to friday the 13th part 2 sure um insidious yep. 1 and 2 yeah absolutely again james wan though again i james mean wan, you know yeah. yeah you're right about insidious 2 i yeah. mean that's equally it takes that story further yeah. and an equal level on the creep factor. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Alien versus Aliens. Yeah, and that you know, still I get scares I'll, when I watch Aliens. I'm too. gonna, I'm gonna. Okay, 
I'm going to throw this to you, throw it to our audience, our horror-loving audience, right? Aliens, to me, brilliant sequel. The, but and, 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 and Peter Safran mentions James Cameron. He says, we want to do what Cameron does. We want to, you know, when he sequelizes, he makes that movie as good as, if not better, than the original. And to me, you couldn't get two more different movies than Alien and Aliens. Your your Alien is a brilliant, uh, uh, claustrophobic. Yeah. Uh, again, Ridley Scott using camera angle and darkness. Yeah. Uh, you know, for trapped on the ship. trapped on yeah. a ship, a very yeah. you no know, place else no go. place to go. Yeah. And when Cameron comes in, to me, he makes it a he makes it an action horror. Yeah. Like, yes, it's pulse pounding. You're in the edge of your seat. Um, but he opens it up, yeah. you know, by bringing in the Marines. He, he adds this element. So it's really interesting if I even, I can categorize aliens sort of like horror, but I do look at it as an action, like high level adrenaline action that keeps you on the edge of your seat because, and again, he builds on character. Ripley's yeah. character. I, yeah, I kind of just, I agree with you, but I disagree in his gotcha. fact of it not being a horror film. Because yeah. to me, it's so brilliant because of the fact that it has so many layers. It's a drama. Right. It's an action. It's scary as hell. Like, there are moments in that film where I literally was, I didn't know what was going to happen. Things were popping out at you. Aliens were yeah. popping from ceilings, from underneath places, you know? Right. So that, to me, gives it that scary gotcha. horror element to uh-huh. it. So, um, But brilliant, brilliant. Done. Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, others on the list, I put Evil Dead versus Evil Dead Two. Sure. Again, I'm going to argue two very different movies. Two very different right? movies. Right. One. Um. Uh, and I, and I actually I got to interview Sam Raimi years and years and years ago back uh, back in Boston when I was at WBCN Radio. He was my very first celebrity interviewer. Well, he wasn't a celebrity at the time. He was coming out with Darkman. Oh, wow. But I got to talk to him about Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2. And I basically said to him, I said, Evil Dead 2 is, is almost a remake of Evil Dead but you threw in a lot of comedy. Yeah, like Bruce Campbell, yeah. you, let, you unleashed him and he's yeah. like, yeah, it's exactly what I wanted yeah. to do. And it's it, but it's as good as it's just almost a different. It's a different film. The, the first Evil Dead was definitely scarier, scarier, and they definitely play off more comedy in in, in part two. I agree with you, but yeah. but the effects and the there were still eerie oh. elements to and there Evil was Dead gore, and, gore well, factor. Gore. Absolutely, I mean, that's what he. Sam, sure. Sam, he loves that. Absolutely. You know, he loves to throw it he in does. your face and gross you out as much as possible. Yeah, and did you know that uh, one of his brothers is a surgeon? A surgeon, yeah. Yeah, and he gets a lot of his, he'd go, what would happen if I did this? And his brother would go, oh, well, you can do this, and it'll explode up like this. So a lot of inspiration came from I would love to go to one brother. of their dinner parties oh, and have conversations awesome. on creating one of his movies. So, he is so nice. But yeah, it's. but you're right. So what else do you have um, Okay, we have uh, Hellraiser uh, versus Hellraiser Hellbound. Okay. Um, Creep Show and Creep Show Two, two totally different movies. Yep. Um, Saw One and Saw Two, of course. Yep. The Woman in Black versus uh, Angel of Death. Okay. Um, the, now the Woman in uh, Am I thinking the same? Um, no, I'm thinking Woman in Black is not the no. It's not the same movie with um, Daniel, Catherine Hellman, Daniel Radcliffe. Right. Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. I see. The Woman that one with Daniel Radcliffe, I found to be. A better storytelling, yeah, than that. It's, yeah. and again, it's yeah. it's it's kind of like the others to me. It's Correct. like that eerie kind of yeah. 
timepiece type of film. Yeah. Um, Phantasm one and Phantasm two. <laughs> still want to. I still. The Love man, those movies. The man with the ball is back. Uh, the That's man with the, the ball is back. Yep. And they're creating, I saw a new Phantasm I that I, that. I'm excited about. Agnes Scrim, I believe, is that guy's name. <laughs> yeah, oh he was the God. oddest looking guy yeah. ever. And freaky, though. He was like that freaky old man. You're, right. you're just like, well, right. I don't want this guy near me, yeah. you know? Um, but still, great, you know, great follow up film. Uh, Final Destination 1 and 2. Okay. Um, 28 Days. Uh, or uh, 28 days later and 20 weeks later. Mm-hmm. And then okay. uh, I put for my last one, Paranormal Activity 1 and 2. Because Paranormal Activity to me also changed the game on the way horror movies were perceived because it, it opened up that umbrella of, of you know, a via, you know recording, recordings, that type of thing. You know? That's Found where you footage. and I... I, I liked you up until you just said that. Oh no! I that movie that was a paranormal craptivity was a movie that that the made first me, one oh, you yeah, didn't even like the first angry. one didn't buy it for a second. Really? That, that that again was one of those movies I did not buy it. I thought I it was didn't brilliant. Buy it at all. The first one was brilliant yep. to me. Didn't I? Didn't buy it. I I just I knew that Why it was not? a like, sham. What? It just it was to me. It just it it utilized. Um, Utilized stupid board like it it, it it focused on making loud noises to make me jump uh, and scares. I didn't buy anything that was going on in that house, and the people were stupid. They would run the wrong way every single time they had the opportunity to run the wrong way. <laughs> but isn't that and, the making and, of a great horror movie? No, because no, again, when, well, yeah, I mean, I get what you're saying, but I, I just I didn't I didn't buy it. I was I was. Within the first twenty minutes of that movie, I was like, "I'm not buying this. I don't really? care. I'm done. I'm out." And I never saw it. I never went back. Wow. Yeah. Never I mean, you know, after that. two, I thought they got a little quirky. It's kind of, yeah. you know, the, it was a little bit too much. But I thought, I thought one was a solid movie. And I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be right. I'm gonna be honest with you right now too. You know, a little bit of bias <clears throat> because um, they, 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 they put Paranormal Activity up against, uh, you know, Lionsgate made a tradition. After Saw of mm-hmm. releasing um, a Saw movie on Halloween, mm-hmm. um, and then Paranormal Craptivity came in <laughs> and sort of kind of stole our thunder. And uh, I never liked them, but, but but in all honesty, for, from a movie, from a horror movie, I just I didn't buy it, and I never went back. You don't have Jaws, Jaws two. No, I do <laughs> not. Grem- have- Gremlins, Gremlins two. Yeah, Gremlins two. Yeah, Gremlins two is a different movie. It's a to different me. movie. Yeah, fun. It's almost like Ghoulies one and Ghoulies two. Oh, geez. You know, you mentioned that They'll earlier. They'll get you in the end. They'll get you in yeah. the end. <laughs> you know, or or you know what I will give is what, well, but it's not really a sequel. It's a remake. It was crazy, so I can't really put it on this list. But right. um, but um, yeah, I, I, but I still say the Friday Thirteenth one and two is primarily one of my favorites ever because of the fact that this the the storytelling in both were. I thought two was even better than one, you know. Really, and and one was a great film. Yeah, I mean, two, uh, believe it or not, got a, a like eviscerate. The first one didn't do great um, review wise, yeah. but if you can, folks, and and again, I know we're talking Conjuring two, but we're talking about horror movie sequels and how difficult it is to make a yeah. good horror movie sequel. But if you want to see um, a great uh, you know, it's it's history. It's 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 Siskel and Ebert. Okay, uh, Google or YouTube uh, Siskel and Ebert's review of Friday the Thirteenth Part Two, and it you know that review alone uh, is what made them, you know, to me brilliant. Um, 
it it yes, I see where you're going with with but you know, Friday the Thirteenth Part Two uh, broke all the rules. Yeah, you know, you were never supposed to kill handicapped people. Never. Yeah. Boom, guy, guy in a wheelchair, wheelchair macheted in, in his head, rolls down the yeah. thing of stairs. Yeah. Yeah. you know, you never. Yeah, I mean, those movies killed every quote unquote unwritten code yeah. into what you can and not kill. And Friday the 13th, you're not supposed to kill animals on screen. Yeah. not supposed to kill parental figures on screen. Yeah. And Friday the 13th just pretty much gave they the finger everything. to it all. <laughs> you got to appreciate it for that. You do. You know, so um, let's – and again, mull over your list. What are some yeah, of your favorite yeah. – what are some of your favorite horror movies and then – their sequel, if there was such a sequel, and did you like it? Was it good? You know, Nightmare on Elm Street compared to the second Freddy. Oh, the second one was really bad. Yeah, it was just interesting. And I, there's I, so much I, controversy around that movie, too, so the second yeah. one. So, so um, but why don't we talk a little bit about, I want to talk about marketing mm-hmm. on this movie. And, and, and again, um, when The Conjuring came out, I really think that the marketing team in place at Warner Brothers, they were just having this amazing year. Uh, to give you an example, you had um, you had Man of Steel, which again was a movie that people, uh, the expectation was is that movie was not going to make six figures. Mm-hmm. Warner Brothers marketing elevated that movie to where it did well over six figures, and it caught an industry, which I was quite shocked at, by surprise. You also had the movie Gravity. Yeah. Gravity, okay. Yeah. Gravity, they did such an amazing job in marketing and getting that buzz and getting anticipation up. And then for this, for The Conjuring, they had what I thought at the time, and I still do today, I think they had one of the best trailers going, and it was the... The clap. The clap. Yeah. It was an audio device that you get audiences into, and then it ended with um, an amazing beat at the end with that clap and it just scares the crap out of you. Um, so that built, and I really think that we're and how they marketed on TV and how they marketed in the theaters. This is the thing that got people excited about. Well, this looks like a good adult. It was rated R too. Rated R, yeah. That's another thing too. A you good horror come- movie has to be rated R. I'm tired of these PG 13, you know, PG <clears throat> horror films. I think a good horror movie needs to be rated R at all times. Yeah, I mean, it, it if if you're if you are a good director, good storyteller, I think you can get away with PG 13. But I enjoyed the fact that Conjuring Two, uh, or The Conjuring, comes out as a rated R movie in the midst of blockbuster summer. And it really got an adult audience. Yeah. It went above and beyond just getting these the horror audience. I said it before. It brought people in who weren't necessarily horror fans it's true. to go. Because it's a great story. You can't make a hundred plus million dollars if you're not getting some semblance of a cross section of people yeah. Yeah. going to see it. So, <clears throat> Conjuring Two, their marketing was a little bit different. They didn't have that 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 device that that audio device, um, and. It was a creepy trailer. They they showcased the nun. What, what did you the think nun. of the marketing? I just thought it was a little bit different. It um, just wasn't the same. It wasn't as effective to me. Yeah. Um, when I looked at the trailer for Conjuring 2, I didn't have the same feeling that I did with Conjuring 1. Conjuring 1, of course, focused more. You, you saw a little bit more of the the, the, the not even the effects, but the thing. Yeah, kind of the effects that were going yeah. on. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And, and this one, a lot of the trailer focused that I saw more on, like, it was one with... Um, uh, young 
Janet on Janet Hodgson's right Hodgson, how she was on the swing, uh, you know, with with Vera, uh, or you saw them, you know, meeting with the priest, or you know, it didn't really show a lot of the I agree sequences in the film, you know, so it didn't draw me in as quickly. Yeah, I mean, it had that one line, like he wants to, he wants to. Kill you. He wants kill to kill her. you. She says, yeah, 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 she's swinging on the swing with yeah. Vera swinging on the swing yeah. with Janet. And she says, you know, what is he saying? And he, he wants to hurt you, you yeah. know, or kill you. So, um, no, he wants and to that, kill all of you. He wants to kill yeah. all of you. And that, yeah. it was, you know, it's scary, but it didn't, it, it, the clap, you know, when I saw the clap, it, the clap is, and plus, we'd never seen a trailer like that. Yeah. Yeah, it was the, different. Yeah. or when I saw the, the the first trailer for Conjuring One, and you see the 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 bed the spread, yeah, sheet, yeah, the pull sheet off the bed, and go into the figure, into the, the figure, yeah. that kind of thing. Like, yeah. I'm like, whoa, you got yeah. me, you know. And I, it, it was different, but mm-hmm. I think also because of the the way that we've kind of been talking about this, the way that the story was so different. Yeah, maybe that's what affected the marketing in the sense of what. They yeah, to I put mean, the I, I agree because I, I, I somewhat felt, yeah, I felt the same way that you did. But we'll talk. Uh, Want to talk a little bit? Let's, let's talk a little bit about the numbers on this movie because we it, it thus far. Look, it opened up to forty point four million yeah. in its opening weekend, which is off by around a million. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the second highest, next to the original Conjuring mm-hmm. for opening of a horror movie. So forty one, and this one was forty. Thus far. Uh, domestically, as of yesterday, we got fifty six million, fifty six point one million in the bank. Uh, foreign, it's done fifty one million. You you brought up yeah. some international numbers, yeah. you know. So worldwide, thus far, this horror movie has done one hundred and seven million. Wow. Uh, plus, and you know, when we still have like today's numbers coming in, uh, it'll be interesting to see its drop uh, for the weekend. But the other thing that I found very interesting is that. Rotten Tomatoes, seventy-six uh, percent. Yeah, so it, <clears throat> as seventy-eight as t- as of today, you and I saw. It's a, so it so it so it's, it, up, it's, it went up a little two. bit. The original Conjuring was at eighty-six, which is interesting. Yeah, which I found interesting. Now again, seventy-six percent for a horror movie is great. A sequel to a horror yeah. movie, nonetheless, is to your point great. Yeah. I agree. Its Cinema Score, which is a polling of audience on opening weekend, was an A minus, mm-hmm. which means that audiences generally like the movie. One thing about this movie that did sort of kind of surprise me was its runtime. Yeah, it was a it was probably two and a half, two hours and fourteen minutes. Yeah, one hundred thirty four minutes. That's which, so, but I think for <clears throat> you know a lot of horror films are like an hour and a half, you know, yes. ninety minutes. Yeah. Um, but this one, I, it didn't feel to me like it was a two hour movie, which makes it great. Just yeah. like the first one, didn't feel like a two hour movie to no. me. I wanted to know the story. I yeah. was engrossed in the characters. I was engrossed in the storyline. I was engrossed to find out what the hell was going to happen at the end. Oh, I know? agree. I agree. So one thing that I brought up was a little bit of uh, Conjuring versus Conjuring 2. So we had opening weekend. Uh, the Conjuring did 41.8 mil, wow. where Conjuring 2 opened at 40.4. Not, not too bad, but here's something interesting. Conjuring, when it opened up, the first one, it opened up to... 2,903 locations, okay. where part two is opened up to 3,343 locations. Hmm. So that's, you know, that's probably, that, that that's a simple explanation as to there might be some more theaters in the market yeah. and some theaters expanded. Um, 
the percentage, uh, opening percent of total, 30.5%, where Conjuring 2 was 71.9%. 71.9. Yeah, so the second weekend drop, and this is where it's going to be very interesting. Second weekend drop for The Conjuring was 46.9. So it's right under 50%. If The Conjuring 2 were able to get a 50% drop or, or less, that would be amazing for it. Although we've got a, you know, we got a fishtail that's out this weekend that I think a lot of the older people are going to be taking their younger people to go yeah. see this Finding Dory movie Yeah, Finding Dory. And we have Central Intelligence, too, with Kevin that's Hart true. and, and <clears throat> Johnson. So. so it'll be very, very interesting. Um, the foreign gross for The Conjuring was $180 million, And thus far, the foreign, uh, like we said, uh, Conjuring 2 is at 51. It'll be interesting to see how the foreign numbers for Conjuring 2 yeah. like stack up. So to speak. But they said that this is the biggest opening weekend ever for a horror film in 30 markets. 30 markets. So, and which they, is crazy. Which is really crazy. Um, I mean, that's astonishing. And they said uh, it It was, uh, let's see here, it includes Australia, Mexico, Brazil, all of Latin America, and most markets in Asia. So yeah. that's huge. That's crazy. What other tidbits did you have? Um, um, Annabelle. I had something about yeah, Annabelle, too, yeah. because they were talking. Of course, we know that Annabelle, too, is in the works with, right. with James. And so they said that the movie proved to be the horror hit when it ultimately grossed over $256 million worldwide for nearly 40 uh <laughs> 40 times its production budget. Yeah. 40 times its production budget. That movie, if I remember this correctly, is a wasn't movie. even 20. Yeah, yeah and I didn't insane. love it. I didn't love Annabelle. You and me I, both. I actually thought it was probably the weaker one out of all of I, these. I don't disagree with you. <laughs> I, I, I really don't. Yeah. I had expected... Look, it was it was a nice shot. Um, the gentleman who directed it is, is Juan's DP, yeah. I believe. I forget his name. Please. I, I mean, no disrespect. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I thought Annabelle... Could have been better. Yeah, I had hoped it been. for it to be a little bit better. I'd hope for it. But within this... And then another thing I was uh, wanted to mention is that uh, there was a question that was going around, which I find it interesting, because you and I yeah. spoke about this a little yeah, bit earlier. Yeah. A lot of the fans of the movie were asking about the spirit, um, which is the nun, and traveling from when... Uh, Lorraine sees the vision at the beginning of the movie to when they end up in England and the nun is there. And so people were asking, like, you know, how how is this nun traveling? And they asked James the the question, and this was his answer. He said, when she sees when she sees the nun at Amityville, it's not like she's hunted by a ghost at Amityville. She's having a premonition of what's going to happen to her husband in the near future. He said that that's all that that is. So she's seeing what's going to happen at the end of the movie. The demonic entity that takes on the form of a nun has got nothing to do with the with Amityville. It's it's just that she's having a psychic uh, premonition. Uh, he said that this indicates that when Lorraine sees the nun at home, she's again seeing the visions of what's going to happen in England. Yeah, there's so, a lot of there's a lot of foreshadowing lot going of foreshadowing. on uh, in this movie. And again, when you're so Warren, you're you're very Warren focused on this, yeah. which 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 I appreciate. Um, Let's, the Warrens are really great characters to follow. Yeah. And I think that from Warner Brothers' perspective, if you want to continue a franchise, the case files, I mean, you could call this, instead of calling it like Conjuring 2, you know, you can call it Conjuring 2, case file, you know, Warren case file number, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I just find it fascinating. If they do a three, the one, one movie that I, that I wanted to see, I was hoping that maybe Conjuring 2 would be, but in Conjuring... They mention an incident that nearly killed Lorraine. Yeah. And I want to see... And it was an exorcism, an if exorcism. I'm correct. Yeah. Um, it was uh, when the, 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 the man <clears throat> had the, uh, the, the 
cross was popping out of his yeah. his chest and yeah. his forehead. Yeah, I want to see that one. Yeah, I want to see how that creepy would be a great that is. Yeah. So, um, more than likely, be a Conjuring three. I'm sure at some point, it's, right? Making too much money for it not to. Yeah, be. I think so too. So, um, why don't we? Uh, I don't. I, I think we've said enough. I mean, I'm trying to think what else we can talk about. Was there something that we missed? Um, we, you know, I we can talk about performance. You know, Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga, uh, number one. I think their chemistry. They were so spot on yeah, in hiring these two. Yeah. And Patrick Wilson, who he's been in the Insidious movies, he yeah. was great. Yep. You know, yeah. I, I just find that their chemistry in this movie very believable. He I may guess. be the king of horror. I'm starting to believe because Patrick is, you know, you see his range of obviously of him doing just his dramatic roles, but the fact that he can come in and take Insidious, you know, Conjuring, and he's such a believable character, and also you like him, yeah. you want him to yeah. find out what's going yeah. on, you know. So yeah. he's he's amazing at that, and he pairs up Rose Byrne, who's in the Insidious yes. movies. He yeah. pairs up like really Perfectly well, with her. and yeah. and I think that I would like, you know. Hopefully, if there's a Conjuring 3, you know, we're going to get these two back. Yeah. I thought Madison Wolf as Janet Hodgson is the oh. little girl. This, um, this has to be a hard one. I couldn't not but help think of The Exorcist and how difficult it is for a little girl to do this. Linda Blair. Yeah. You know, she it affected her life. Literally. Moving, you know, moving forward after The Exorcist. But to, to, to play that role, I thought she was she was fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic, fantastic. Um uh, Lauren Esposito was her sister Margaret, who was really good. I liked her as well. She was great. Um, Benjamin Hay as Billy Hodgson, the little brother. Um, you know, the kids I found to be very believable and not annoying. They were not annoying. That's the biggest thing that, that will turn me off is if the kids are annoying. Play them real, just like in the first Conjuring, that family, those kids. I bought them. They weren't annoying kids. They were not annoying kids. You know, and I, and I love the scene. There's another scene. It's a tender scene. Where the kids who love Elvis Presley, yeah, and their their record player doesn't work, it doesn't work, yeah. And Patrick Wilson picks up the yeah, you got a guitar, guitar, yeah. And um, listen, somebody can make you know he's the flying nun with a guitar. But I just thought that that scene was one scene in which we get a breather. The family gets a breather, yeah. And and um, we get Lorraine Warren also gets to she gets to settle down and go. Find the love for her husband. Yeah, and and it, yeah, it was a really good scene. It was a great scene. Yeah, and it, it kind of took you out of it for a minute, which mm-hmm. is good because then when it brings you back, it brought you back. Yeah, yeah, and the last twenty minutes, like Conjuring, are very you know the scene where she was all twisted in that cupboard. Yeah, what the? Yeah, that was what, yeah. that was yeah. crazy yeah. to me. Like yeah. I got chills, and again, it didn't make me jump like in Conjuring, but it's still such such such, such an image. So. Well, one of the biggest buildups for me was also when. Um, uh, uh, when Janet, the character Janet, was she, she was kind of morphed into her room, which had been locked right. by her mom. And then they're all trying to get her out of the room, and all she keeps saying is, "There's someone in here with me," and they can't see who that someone is, and they can't get the locks off. And that's it was just, I literally almost lost it in my chair. Yeah, and again, Juan does something that he takes it a step further because Ed, I believe, comes in and yeah. he's looking through the keyhole. He's looking through the keyhole, yeah, and he sees the hand come up, yeah. And grab her, and okay, that's shocking enough. Yeah. And you think it's over, but no, then that Bill's face pops up. Yeah, the face, it, face pops up, yeah. Uh, listen, we obviously like this movie a lot. Um, uh, Dariel, please, uh, final thoughts? Tell us where people can follow you. 
Uh, final thoughts. I would definitely recommend this movie to go see. Um, as I mentioned, it's I love Conjuring One, so it was it's always hard for me with the second film. Um, but this is definitely a, a go to see movie. You're gonna get some scares, um, and as you hear the music in the background, I grew up Catholic, so it's like it brings you back to like that Catholic <laughs> school music going to church. Very eerie. Um, you can find me at Daryl Kristen D E R R I A L C H R S T O N on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat, and also on our sister network, Black Hollywood Live. Thank you very much. And what are your thoughts of, uh, you know, you want to come back? Did you have a good time? Your first I, time on listen, Anatomy here. I, I loved doing this show with you. I'd love Thanks. to come back. And, uh, you know, I, I love when I can talk to somebody about horror and, and movies. And, and um, you know, you know your facts. So it's always awesome. fun to it's be a with good time. who knows that. Yeah, well, and again, uh, you may please support me on Twitter at DMovies1701. Yeah, Conjuring 2, I think, is a very worthy sequel where you may not think it delivers as much scare as in the first one. Okay, granted, but it's got a really good story and it makes you wonder, live or is this Memorex? Yeah. Uh, I thought that was very well done. Uh, stay tuned to Popcorn Talks Anatomy of a Movie where we're going to be talking about movies like completely different, Finding Dory. Uh, Star Trek Beyond. Can't wait. Big Star Trek fan yeah. myself. And every other in- blockbuster or temple that's coming out, Independence Day Resurgence. Looking forward to having some popcorn while watching that movie. Yeah. So stay tuned. As always, please comment. Uh, We love to hear what you think about the movies that we just talked about. Uh, And until next time, folks. Bye. From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the rest of the Anatomy of a Movie staff, we would like to thank you for listening and subscribing to the show. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to email or tweet us. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been Anatomy of a Movie.